Right, we're going to get right into the Word uh, for today. We're going to read from Luke. We go, I'm going to use the screen recorder here and I'm going to show you guys um, from uh, Luke. We, we're going to talk about meeting God on a Monday. Now, you know, Monday is normally not the best day for most people. And uh, a lot of people, you know, Monday is just the worst day. And that's why most pastors take the Monday off. Because, uh, you know, if a, a Monday is already a terrible day, so we don't want trouble. We don't want to be put in a bad light. So we take the Monday off and uh, then we just start our week on the Tuesday. And then the secretary and the staff and those people, they'll sort out the Monday. But all people are not, um, you know, in the situation where you can take the Monday off. So how do you deal with a Monday? And how would God deal with a Monday? Now, this might sound like I'm laying a foundation of a, a, a law message wherein, wherein you, where I'm going to try and teach you how to live. That's not what I'm going to do. I want to just use this as an example uh, from the book of Luke uh, to show you how God lives, who He is. I'm not, please hear me, I'm not going to tell you how to handle, I'm not going to teach you how to deal with certain situations in your life. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to waste my time. Because if I tell you, do this, do this, do this, and that's how you conquer things by following these five steps or these ten steps, I'm just going to waste my time. I want to introduce you to who God is, and I want to show you who the God is that gave His Son. And when you realize that and you can start to find just who he really is, you will find freedom and joy even in your Monday. So uh, imagine you had just had a terrible day, you know, and everything goes wrong. It's from, from um, people that gossip about you, where you might struggle to pay even some stuff. And in that situation, you find people begging from you. People want to borrow stuff from you. Um, somebody gets upset with you, starts to get physical, bump you around. Just have a terrible day. I mean, how would, I mean, if God, how would God look in that situation? If you want to see who God is, if you want to see who a person really is, um, and you want to look at love, and you can put it inside that situation, you'll really see, uh, you know, what it is. It can really be defined in that situation. It's like a, a 4 by 4 vehicle. Uh, you know, I remember when I first went out to Africa with a 4x4 vehicle and first time I had a 4x4, man, I had to test it on every sand dune there is. I wanted to take it up everywhere. And if I drive, drove it on the normal uh, uh, tar road, man, I couldn't. I, I mean, tar road doesn't allow the 4x4 to show what it is. It doesn't cause the car to be what it really is. It doesn't have the ability to manifest what, what it truly is. In the very same way with God. When we, take, when we say God is love, it's wonderful. But let us take a difficult situation, put God in that, and let, let's see the ability of love. Let's see how love would look in, in a difficult Monday from God's perspective. Now, let us go to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse... Um, 27 and this is what it says it says but i say unto you which hear love your enemy do good to them which hate you bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitefully use you and now people before i read on just note oh my see i've got my um i'm sorry about that i see now that i've got the the camera uh, in the in the wrong place here uh, so 
let us just, uh, so you couldn't read that, but so, sorry about that. But <clears throat> you will see that everything here is written in red. That means it was words directly from Jesus. So Jesus said, but I say unto you which year, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. So if Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, the least we can expect is that he would do exactly the same. How could Jesus come and say that we must do something and he's not willing to do that himself? If he says, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, then he must love his enemies and do good towards those that hate him, isn't it? Uh, and we can look at Luke 6 and we can say, these are very difficult commands. I don't know how we'll ever obey that. Now I want to tell you, the commands in Luke 6 was not given so that you could obey it to become a son of God. It was given so that we could see who God would be on a typical Monday. And that we can see and learn who we've got to do with. Verse uh, 28, Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. Man, that's difficult. I mean, bless them that curse you. Bless them that curse you. You know, that speaks doom over you, that word says. Um, that, that, that speaks a poison into your life. You know, that would say that you're not good. Bless them that curse you. Now, can you imagine how good a person must be if you go and, and you are his enemy? And uh, he would come and he'll be good to his enemy. He would love his enemy. He would bless those that curse him. He'd pray for those that despitefully uses him. I mean, that is a very high standard of living. That's a standard of living that I think most people will struggle to live by 24-7 for the 100 years or 80 years that they are on this, on this planet. You'll find you come short somewhere. But here he says, Jesus comes and he lays the highest command, the highest quality of life, the highest holiness, the highest righteousness. He lays down here and he says clearly, I see, and I, we, we can just read it again, you know. I see I haven't switched over to the other camera. I'm sorry about that, looking to the wrong camera here. Um, when, when we look at what he's done here, we see clearly, he says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Love your enemy and do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully uses you. And unto him that smites you on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that takes away your cloak, forbid not your coat also. In other words, he that steals from you, give him more. Isn't that amazing, you know, to see that? He that steals from you, give him more. Now that is just ridiculous. Imagine somebody, you find somebody stealing at your house and you're telling him, listen man, I've, I know of some stuff that I've hidden somewhere, uh, some diamonds or some jewelry that I've got some of my great-grandfather and I want to just, just give it to you. I've got a golden ring that's 300 years old. You know, we've got that as well. I also want to add that to you. And you know, to carry a television and a radio, uh, all at once, that's difficult. Let me help you. Let me help you carry this stuff. And I'm sure you must be going through a hard time. That's why you're doing these kind of things. I mean, that is really such a life that we cannot even imagine, you know, that, they, that there are people that can live up to that standard of life. 
Now, let's go on. It says, give to, verse 30, um, give to every man that asks of you, and of him that takes away your goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men would do to you, do also to them. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them which you hope to receive, from, from whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much. But love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and your reward shall be great and this is the reward and you shall be the children of the highest for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil be ye therefore merciful as your heavenly father is merciful so isn't that absolutely awesome you know what does he say there he says be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful so what he's talking about there actually is He's putting the mercy of God in a typical Monday, if you want to put it like that, where you are um, lied about, where you are abused. Imagine you go to your job and your, your, your boss just abuses your goodness, you know, and makes you work overtime and doesn't pay for that. And, um, you know, the clients are just... Uh, uh, ridiculous when you need to help them and they you know it's just you have a difficult time you find people beg from you people steal from you just a normal life a normal difficult life and and the mercy of God is put on display in a typical everyday life where it's actually really bad so it's a normal life where we can just say this is real bad and um, how would God act there here the Bible says clearly Bless those that curse you. What does that mean? That means God blesses those that curses Him. Love your enemies. What does that mean? Now, do you think Jesus can give a command that He's not willing to do, that He cannot live up to? If, if Jesus says, love your enemies, at least He needs to love His enemy. You know, to, uh, otherwise He's a hypocrite. So many times we find, even with politicians and stuff, and even the law, you know, when you look at a traffic officer, and if he speeds, you would say, look at him, he's speeding, he's, he's breaking the law, he didn't stop at the stop street properly, and he skipped the red light, or um, he was on his cell phone while driving, and you will just go on, because a traffic officer uh, would, would do this thing wrong, because he's laying down the law, he is putting the standard there, and we expect of the one that, that would try and enforce the law and put the standard there to at least live up to the standard. So if Jesus comes and he says here, you know, uh, in Luke, that we, um, we need to, you know, love our enemies, let's look at this again, but I say unto you which here, love your enemy, do good to them which hate you, then God must love his enemy and do good to those that hate him. That is, that is just the way it is supposed to be, you know. There's no other way in which this can be. And then we can go on and we can just see uh, how he says, Bless those that curse you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. He that smites you on the one cheek, offer the other also. Church, if you would go up to God, just look me in the eye. If you would go up to God, if he was on the earth walking here, and you would slap him in his face, he'll turn the other cheek. If you would abuse his goodness, 
He'll just continue to be good to you. If you steal from Him, He'll give you more. Isn't that just amazing? Isn't that just amazing? That is what this verse says. He says, if you can do all these things, then you will be like the Most High, for He is merciful towards the unthankful and the evil. Now imagine you go to, to, uh, to your car and there's a beggar at your car and he says, oh sir, can you please help me? And you give him a hundred rand or let's say ten dollars. And he, he takes the ten dollars and he says, um, yeah, thank you for this, but do you think I'm, I can live off this money? What will you think? You will think, you ungrateful thing. What's wrong with you? Give, my, give that money back! And, and, you'll just, and, and then you'll run. Because you'll, you'll hunt him down. You want that $10 back. You want that 100 Rand back. Because another guy has got to work. You know, in South Africa, you work a whole day. If, if you're um, you know, a, a day laborer, you can work a whole day for 150 Rand. So it's like a day wage almost. So, I mean, the guy that works for you must work a whole day for that money. And this guy gets it for free and then he's not even grateful. He's not even grateful. And now it says, Your God is kind to the unthankful and the evil. He wants to entertain. He wants to love. He wants to show goodness. He wants to show kindness to the unthankful and the evil. He, and, and this is just, let this be a word for everybody that, um, you know, that uh, uh, look towards people that are preaching the law. I remember when I just got into grace, I was so upset with every law preacher, you know, and I was upset with myself. I was upset with people who continued to preach law. But the word evil means to be full of labor and annoyance. God is kind to the law preacher. My goodness. No, but I don't think so. God will never be kind to the law preacher. Well, I tell you now, if he wasn't kind to the law preacher, if you were in the law before, isn't it? Wasn't his goodness... The goodness of God that led you to repentance? Wasn't the kindness of God that has drawn you when you became burnt out on religion? Isn't God crying? You know, wasn't He crying when He looked at Jerusalem and He said to Him, Jeru Jerusalem, Jerusalem, like a hen gathers a chick, so I wanted to gather you, but you didn't want to? Isn't that, you know, how God feels? That is who He is. And I'm not saying to you, you must live this way. I just want to tell you who God is, how He lives towards you, how He would be, uh, what kind of person He would be in everyday life. If you would steal from God, He'd give you more. Now with that verse right there in Luke, that ends this whole thing about tithing. You know, with, have you, you've robbed God, therefore you are cursed with a curse and all those kind of things. That was a type and a shadow of the, of, 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 what Christ had to come and do in Malachi 3. It wasn't directed to the, towards the church today that if they don't give their tithe, they rob God and then they are under a curse. And I mean, the Bible doesn't say curse those who take something from you. It says give more to those who take from you for then you'll be like your father. That's what it says, church. So I want, I want you to know that if God would live in this life, in normal human flesh amongst us, he would be the kindest, most friendliest person that you could ever imagine. Now let us just go to another verse there quickly. Um, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. There it is. 
It says, um, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, I am, uh, that charity is the word agapeo, agape, which is affection, benevolence, love, a love feast, you know, or full of love, this comes from the word agape. I've become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. This connects so well with the other verse where, um, where the Bible says, if you love those that love you, what thank have you? Are you not just exactly the same as the sinner? For the sinner loves those that loves them. We have made, we've preached God into the category of a sinner through tithing and through Him that will just be good to those that are good to Him. If God only blesses those that bless Him, what thank has He? What's the difference between Him and a sinner? There is absolutely no difference. God has come and He has come and He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. If God gives to those that give to Him, what is He different than a sinner? For a sinner does exactly, exactly the same. So, God, if God must say, I'll prosper you because you give to me, you're preaching Him as a sinner. That's what you do. But here it says that he, 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 if He comes and He would speak with tongues and, of men and angels, you know, and He doesn't have love, He's just nothing. If He would come, and let's just look at the next verse there. Um, there it is. Verse 2, it says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can move mountains, and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow my good, goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and I have not love, it shall profit me nothing. So you see here, if God would come and give His life, and He would, he would live this best life on the earth, and He doesn't have love, it would profit Him absolutely nothing. Now, we don't want, I mean, God wouldn't come in a way that wouldn't profit Him. What God did in Christ profits Him. Now, if Jesus Christ came to the earth and He just lived a life where, imagine He lived on this earth and you could go out to Him and slap Him and He would turn the other cheek. How would that save you? It couldn't save you. Imagine Jesus would live on this earth and um, you could curse Him and He will bless you. Do you think that can save you? can never save you. If somebody comes to me and steals from me and I give him more, that can never save him. That can never give him immortality. That can never give him uh, the quality of life God possesses. He can be amazed and very grateful and thankful. It might change his life for a while, but he's never going to have immortality, meaning undying human flesh, having the resurrection power. He will not be ha have the ability when he dies to be raised from the dead. You know, a person that allows himself to be slapped, that is not going to save you. A person that you can not be good to, but he will continue to be good to you. You borrow something from him, you don't give it back, but he'll borrow again and again and again. I mean, how will that save man? So God came in Jesus Christ, and he came in a higher life than just a life where, where you can um, say, well, you know, God is going to continue to be friendly to me even if I'm bad to him. He came and He demonstrated His love in a way that can actually mean something to us. 
If my neighbor is a very friendly God, what a, a, a very friendly guy, what does that mean to me? How can that save me? It's like the one guy said, um, I think uh, uh, they've also asked me this question. He says, can God create a hole so big that he, that God, is, God Almighty is, cannot jump over the hole? If you say God is Almighty, can he create a hole that he can't jump over? I mean, they've asked that to Reinhard Bonker years ago, and this was his answer. He said, God specializes in impossibilities, not absurdities. How can such a hole save mankind? It cannot. In the very same way, Jesus Christ came in a way that can give you salvation and that can give you life. What did he do? How did he manifest this life? Should he live in a normal human body on a, and have a typical Monday? We would see this extraordinary love. But thank God they didn't choose to come and be an example for us by living this holy life and saying to us, Come on, guys, follow my example, live the way I live. No, he used that extraordinary life, incarnated that life into sinful flesh, and represented you, and he died away all your sin, and then he glorified that dead body, and put that body at the right hand of the Father, to be the word of God about your life. For the Bible says, herein is the love of God, that he gave his son as the sacrifice for our sins, so that we can have life through the resurrected Christ, and not our own works. Glory to God. Thank God that Jesus didn't come to be an example for me. He came, he, he, he didn't even come to be an example of me. He came to end me. And then he came to be, uh, he came to glorify human flesh. And he went and he sat at the right hand of the Father to give joy and righteousness and kindness and peace as a way of living towards every man by the power of his resurrection and not the power of example. Glory to God. Jesus is not your example. He's your Savior. Jesus is not your... I mean, I find these days, guys, uh, and I don't want to use this as a um, church, as a, a post wherein I beat on other preachers or something. But we need to realize that the fact that God loves you is not what saves you. It is what His love brought forth that saves us. God has always loved man. God has loved man from before time. When he just had the thought of having another being that's like him, he's already loved you. He's loved us from the beginning. He's loved Adam even while Adam committed sin. While you were busy with your fornication and lying and cheating and robbing people, while you were busy looking at pornography or while you were swearing, cussing, gossiping and all those kind of things. God loves, loves you. But that love is not what saves you. What that love brought forth was the incarnation wherein a man was, wherein God was incarnated into human flesh, being the last Adam, representing every human being. And then he was obedient even unto death, where a body was made, wherein all sin could have its heyday, and that body could die, representing you. And then God took that dead body, dead on account of sin, dead on, completely dead, wherein sin could have no power anymore, because it's now completely dead. And He didn't raise it from the dead. He glorified it. And one of the benefits of glorification is resurrection. And He was re resurrected. 
by the glory of God and he, he came alive with undying human flesh. That man went and sat at the right hand of the Father and that is God's word over you that's God's promise over you and he's telling you do you see this life if you can believe that God can justify the ungodly then that justification shall manifest in your life and you will receive immortality you receive life eternal and you receive the spirit that will do all of that on behalf of the glory of God which is God's view and opinion about you glory to God now, you need to go back, if you're watching the live stream, you need to go back and just uh, um, on YouTube, you can rewind a little bit there and watch it again, you know, so if you missed this, you can on YouTube just rewind. If you want to get back to the live point there, just click on live and it will jump back to the live section there. So, uh, church, we need to realize that the love of God is not in... Um, being so good that he still smiles over me when I've said a cuss word. Well, that's great to know that. And that gives us boldness to come to the throne room of grace because we know our, our Father is not angry. But I want to tell you, he's got so much more. What he has is an eternal, immortal, undying word. You know, Jesus Christ comes and he comes in the order of Melchizedek. Do you know what the order of Melchizedek is? My friends, we have under, misunderstood the order of Melchizedek and was poisoned with the tithing teaching because the, the, the order of Melchizedek was, you know, Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek and Abraham tithed to him and now you must give your tithe. No, that is not what the order of The order of Melchizedek is, this is the order. He had to be a king and a priest that possesses immortal human flesh. And Jesus Christ came in that order. He was a king, he was a priest, and he had undying human flesh. And Jesus was only in the, in the order of Melchizedek in his resurrection. So when he was raised and he possessed immortality, immortal human flesh, and he couldn't die in a physical human body, he was the high priest of man, and he is the one that represents you before God. And as he represented you in sin when he was baptized into the Jordan River and baptized into the sin of man. And when he carried that sin upon the cross, when he bore that sin upon the cross and bore the consequences of that sin upon the cross. Um, you know, not that he sinned, he took it upon him in the same way as what he was your high priest in, in representing you in sin. He is now your high priest representing you in immortality. And let us see the truth that is inside him. For his love is not just displayed in, you know, he can take another slap from us. His love is explained in this, that he first loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. So people, what Jesus Christ came to do, church, is to heal our flesh from the poison of sin and death. That's what he came to do, not by your willpower. You know what's the great thing about uh, uh, um, knowing he heals me from sin and death? It is like, it takes all the effort of me to heal myself. It would be like a mom where the child maybe had a terrible accident with a bicycle and now the mom sees the child struggles to breathe, he's, he's really struggling and he's you know, she's stressed out. What does she do? She must help him to live. She must keep him alive with her work, by her works. But the moment he's put into the hospital, she ceases from her work and trained people that are experts 
take it upon them to bring forth life in him and save his life. In the very same way, when we hear about the death of the physical body of Christ, we hear about the death of sin, we hear about the resurrection, we hear about the glorification, what we are hearing is that uh, in the resurrection, by the power of the glory of God, human flesh is healed. From what? From the sin and death in it, so that we don't have to heal ourselves by willpower anymore. We are now under the power of the best doctor ever, and he heals your flesh. How does he heal your flesh? Satan came and he bit you. You know, he, he bit man and put the poison of the law, the poison that comes out of his mouth, the poison of legalism and death that brings death to our flesh in our blood. But when we see the snake crucified, when we see the snake on the pole like they did in the desert, what happens? Then the poison that's in our blood, the poison that's in our flesh leaves us and we can start live for the first time. Church, God loves you. Love is kind. Love is good. Love us, uh, um, you know, here it says, and let us, let us just read that quickly, um, on, on the love of God. Here it is. It says here, Charity suffers long. Charity is kind. Love envies not. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave unseemly. Means it will not, he will not break your arm to teach you something. Okay, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and it will never end. The love of God will never end, church. The love of God will never end. God cannot stop to love you. God cannot stop to care for you. He cannot stop to be uh, uh, um, himself towards you. And church, let us expect the basic fruits of God's love in everyday life. But oh my goodness, there's something much better. There's something much better than thinking God loves me and then He'll put fuel in my car. Glory to God, that's a given. You, you're having that anyway. That, that, that's already there. But let me tell you this, there's something greater than that. You can be healed from sin in the flesh. You can be healed from the source that produces fear. So that fear is a foreign concept. You can be healed from that which causes guilt in your life and condemnation. Wherein you are delivered from this body of death. And you start to see the first fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness, as well as gifts and the power of God and all those kind of things. And let's not chase after the gifts, people. You know, that is just a given. These things are a given. And what do we hope for? What do we expect? in the return of Christ, immortality. We're not aiming for death. We're aiming for life. We, what, what we are expecting is the return of Christ, the, the, the glorification of our human bodies, because we are already experiencing that now. That's where we stay away from the law. I'm not going to fornicate with the law and take what is holy, this body that is there for intimacy with Christ, and make it intimate with willpower. Let, us, let there not be any profane person or a, a person like Esau who casts away his, his birthright, you know, for uh, some soup. Let us not cast away. We've got a birthright. You know what's the birthright? You've got the right by birth, by the resurrection of Christ. You've got a right to have life and immortality on account of the power of the Holy Spirit, not your works. Glory to God. 
Oh, church, I want to tell you, in Web Church, um, if you are here, I want to tell you, we are um, excited. And, and this is where, you know, I'm leading this. And this is where I feel the Holy Spirit leads me. We are not settling for a mediocre Christianity where we, where we, um, where we live by the law or we walk in rebellion against the law or where we are just happy because God's not angry. No, we, we are available for the highest quality of life because that's what God came to give to us freely. We're not going to attain that by willpower. We're not going to attain that by hoping for it. We are seeing Jesus as the resurrected Christ. Now what I mean by, let me just say this, we're not going to attain this by hoping for it in the sense of we just hope it happens. And No, we've got a sure hope. We've got the confident expectation of what happens in the resurrection of Christ and what happened there. And we are now, our members are available as an instrument of the righteousness of God, of the good thing that He does towards us. Glory to the Lord. And therefore, I'm not saying I'm going to jump away trying to do good works. I'm saying, oh God, you know, I've got a birthright. I've got a right in Christ to have kindness, to feel what it feels to be kind. It's wonderful that God is kind towards me. But do you know how, what a high quality of life it is to be kind to someone? Not because you see God as an example of kindness, but because you find kindness born in you. That's what it's all about. Glory to God. Well, church, thank you so much for watching this. I would like to end this off by just praying for you. Father, thank you so much for people that could be in this webcast, chatting to each other, sharing the word with each other, um, listening to this message, being encouraged by your grace. Thank you, Father, that you love people. Thank you that you've stretched forth your hand towards us. Thank you, Father, I can pray for people that are watching right now, that their understandings will be enlightened to hear this word, to be um, exalted in their own hearts in the sense of my heart is not living in the mud of legalism anymore, but I'm standing up in what Christ has done for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, Father, for caring for this church. Thank you, Father, that these people are cared for and loved. I want to pray for every person watching now. I thank you, Father, that it's healing in his body, healing in his mind, healing in his flesh. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, guys, I want to thank you so much for watching. Um, for those of you that uh, didn't see this in the in just in the beginning of the message here, um, you know, I spoke a little bit about uh, giving towards uh, some orphans so that we can bless them with some Christmas gifts. If you want to do that, you can just uh, go to the donate button and just click there on um, on donate and make your donation. Make sure if you want to give towards that. If you want to give towards the ministry, just put money in there. Um, you know, if you want to give towards that specifically, put in Ministry of Helps, and it would be wonderful for us to to give. We want to give at least five hundred dollars um, to them uh, for gifts for these orphans. Let's bless those kids. They don't have parents, you know, um, and let us be their parents. Let us just uh, be the hands of God extended towards them. No guilt or anything, you know, we are set free from that. We are now free to be who we really are and we can share in His quality of life. Thank you so much for that. If you need any prayer, if you need any help, or if you want to attend any face-to-face -face or face-to-face -face meeting, which is basically a cell group meeting, please make sure that you go and go to our um, web fellowship page and just look at the different, uh, you know, options we have there on how you can get involved and how you can be ministered to. Contact one of our web pastors if you are in need of prayer. 
Thank you so much, people, and God bless you. Is what we are. That is what we are. Playing in the fields of grace. Knowing this joy of a papa's embrace. Hear him say, I love you. Hear him say, I always loved you. Wonderfully safe, secure, beautiful.